Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. listening to Passions and Prologues, a literary podcast where each week I'll interview an author about a thing they love and how it inspires their work. I'm your host, Adam Sokol, and if this is your first time joining in, thanks so much for being here. If you've been listening for a while now, welcome back. Today's episode is an interview I did with young adult author Leslie Livingston. Uh, Leslie has a new book out called Queen Among the Dead, which is just freaking delightful. I get into it with Leslie, of course, a little bit later in the episode, but if you are a fan of dark fantasies, kind of fantasy series type books, uh, this is the perfect time of year to fall into a fantasy novel, and I highly recommend Queen Among the Dead. Our conversation today is all about how Leslie finds her stories and builds them out through place. She's all about location. And in this discussion, we talk about how in her past books, she has found little unknown pockets of various cities that she's traveled to and delved into the history of those small places and how she builds out stories that way. It's really, really fascinating, especially for me as a person who I tend to be uh, much more, I suppose, character and like conversation driven for stories. I I love emotions, of course, which we talk about in this discussion. Uh, I love when books are very emotional and when they uh, kind of hurt me, as I like to say. I don't often think about the location of a specific book uh, to pull me into it, but I'm going to now after this discussion with Leslie. I think you're really, really going to like it. Uh, as always, if you want to get a hold of me and give me some feedback, offer some questions, if you're curious about something, if you want some book recommendations, uh, you can always reach me at passionsandprologues at gmail.com. As I've been mentioning, if you want some customized book recommendations specifically for you, just feel free to send me a screenshot of any rating or review you do of the podcast, and I will give you some custom book recommendations. I also every month give out a uh, gift card to bookshop.org. So I reached out to the winner uh, last month. And uh, yeah, if you would like that, again, just send me an email. Tell me what you're passionate about. I love seeing those. I've been getting some really fun responses from people. And yeah, I will pick at random at the end of the month, uh, somebody to send a bookshop.org gift card to kind of pay it forward as it might be. So before we get into the conversation with Leslie, I do want to give you a book recommendation of something that I am just absolutely loving. I don't usually do book recommendations for books that I haven't yet finished, but I'm reading Thistlefoot by Jenna Rose Nethercott. And it is so unique and weird and wonderful uh, that I just, I know I'm going to continue loving the entire book. So I'm going to make a recommendation based off of a third of the book that I've currently read. So Thistlefoot is it's a modern fairy tale. 
And it's like a sweeping epic novel. It's based in Eastern European folklore, a lot of uh, Jewish folklore, which I love as someone who has Jewish heritage in my family. It is the story of two descendants who are siblings of Baba Yaga. Um, if you're unfamiliar with Baba Yaga, I don't want to give anything away. If you are familiar with Baba Yaga, you might have an idea of some of the things in this book. Basically, these two siblings receive a package from their ancestral home. They're living in the United States. And what that package is, this is not a spoiler, it is literally on the cover of the book, is a giant house that is sentient and walks around on giant chicken legs. And what they do is they tour this house, which they call Thistlefoot, all around the country doing puppet shows to make money, all while being chased by this mysterious dark shadowy figure who is uh, trying to end their lives and the lives of Thistlefoot. It is weird. It is funny. It is intense. It is magical and just strange. I, it's been a while since I've read a book that like, I'll find myself stopping every few pages and just saying out loud, like, oh, I just really, really love this. So that's Thistlefoot by Jenna Rose Nethercott. Again, I'm not finished with the whole book, but so far I am just obsessed with this. So hope you'll enjoy that. And I also hope that you will go check out Queen Among the Dead by Leslie Livingston. After this discussion, I'm not going to keep you here any longer. We're going to dive right into our chat about the importance of location so I hope you enjoy this chat with Leslie Livingston on Passions and Prologues. Hey nerds, I'm Sarah, the Paper Nerd, and if you've ever wondered what goes into that greeting card you just sent or received, well, quite a lot. Get your paper fix on the paper fold where I host an enchanting mix of personalities and players all nerding out on my favorite topic, stationery. From the designs of our snail mail communications to the precious space created when two people correspond, there's a lot to cover. So come grab a seat in the stationery community's only five-star paper salon, The Paper Fold, now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Okay, Leslie, uh, what is the thing you're super passionate about that we're going to discuss today? I'm going to say places. Places. Okay. I love yeah. this. All right. Let's start with like a initial question of like, what, what is it about kind of places that fascinates you? And like, when did you sort of discover this? Uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by the personality of places. Mm. Uh, I, okay, because it, it does actually wind up tying into my writing, but uh, characters at, are fun and necessary for <laughs> books, but I find I have a really hard time uh, getting into a story ever unless I, I have a setting. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm fascinated by places and histories of places and all the, the sort of the, um, the layers that are underneath what you can see mm -hmm. in some place that you might just walk through every day. Um, I sort of, I, I kind of, I, I'm, I'm an actor by trade. Like my, that's, that, that's my background. And uh, I did a lot of Shakespeare mm -hmm. and, and Shakespeare's a little fit on the ground when it comes to things like, you know, stage directions and, and, really descriptive things. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's nighttime, it's daytime, it's, it's Red Castle or whatever. But um, 
it was funny when I was in, in grad school, I was, I was writing a, a paper about setting and uh, the, the English speech. Mm-hmm. This, 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 uh, this, I, I, I can't, I, I can't go into the whole thing because I will, I will start going on. on yeah. Take for some little and we will never get this up. But <laughs> the, uh, the England speech is, uh, is in itself the description of a, not just a place, but really a character and, uh, and, and a motivation and, and a, a deep and profound love. And I, I did this weird thing where I equated it to, um, and this is going to sound very strange, but the the scene in Star Trek the Motion Picture. <laughs> Stay with me. Go on. No, I'm I'm ready. I love a I love a long walk. Where Kirk gets on the shuttle with Scotty and he hasn't been back at the Enterprise in ages, and they've done this entire refit, and so Scotty takes him on this like this extended journey where they circle the Enterprise and it's this, it's just this building soundtrack and there's all these, these extended loving shots of, of the ship mm-hmm. and the, and the, uh, the, the saucer section and the nacelles and you get the, the, the NCC 1701 and, the, mm-hmm. and it goes on forever. And it's just like, what are, what are they doing? And it's like, okay, I understand what they're doing here and I absolutely adore it because the ship is the biggest character in in the series, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's 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 Kirk's one true love interest. You know, yeah, never mind the 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 you know the Green Orion Slide girls or the, the the women he falls in love with. You know, and Edith Keeley. Never mind any of that. The ship is his one true love, and in in doing this, like this, in, like they're beauty shots, and they're mm-hmm. it's like a love scene almost in Kirk's face when they when they you know cut back to him and him just seeing this this love of his life even as a kid it struck me as so incredibly powerful and so important mm-hmm. not to the whole series but to like you know the very his his entire journey and and there's such a fascinating history just with that ship mm-hmm. and he or it's all different and he's 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 kind of lost and confused and he has to you know re-fall in love with the ship and and the ship has to kind of re-fall in love with him too in a, in a weird way and I just I, I love that, and I love I love the idea of of places being as important to stories as the people that you put in them. Mm-hmm. It was funny when I was writing my my very first trilogy way back then, my Wonder Strange trilogy, yeah, set in New York City, and I didn't have the book before I'd actually gone down to New York. I grew up in Alberta, in Canada, out west, and it was the eighties, and all I heard about New York City was, "Oh God, it's a terrible place. Never go there. You'll be burned." the minute you step off the plane and I grew up with this idea of New York City as just like just this horrible place and I got there and instantly fell in love with it like just madly like it was just like it was like it hit me like a ton of bricks I was like this place is this 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 is this this is just grabbed my heart instantly Mm -hmm. and I I found myself you know wandering through like Central Park and 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 just you know, this this you know, the Upper West Side and 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 Soho and and just everywhere and finding these weird little parts of New York City that wound up writing themselves into the book that I was sort mm-hmm. of I kind of slightly imagined in my head because uh, I was sort of, I was like okay, well, I, I, what is this book going to be and and uh, the the Shakespearean thing came into it because. 
I was writing about this this young actress in New York City, and, and uh, I have a, a, a also a deep abiding love of of history, mythology, and folklore, and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And so I was going to basically write a fairy tale in New York City, and uh, and with like real folkloric fairies who are yeah. you know, beautiful people, and that was great. But it was the city itself that really spoke to me and kind of gave me so many plot points. Yeah. And I started coming up with all these really strange things. Like I was inspired initially for my my main male character, my love interest, by a statue in Central Park uh, of this this hunter with a dog figure. And it's it, it's yeah. kind of it's kind of tucked away in the in the corner. And I was like, that guy. I know who that guy is. And that's mm-hmm. fine. And then I would be wandering around and there was like and then I, I go down research rabbit holes like crazy, like, you know, like a lot of... As, yeah, as an, as an author will. <laughs> as one does. Yeah. You know, and it's just, and you, you've got like, you know, 82 tabs open on your desktop and things start to slow down and grind to a halt. You're like, oh God, no, I need, I need all of these. And, mm-hmm. and I found things like the Hellgate Bridge became a huge part of, of not just that trilogy, but the next trilogy. The place where the library is now, where the, the main branch of the library yeah. is. Uh, with the lions and, and the park. Um, that used to be the Croton Reservoir aqueduct, aqueduct Reservoir. And that's where the water came down. And it was like this huge structure that when it was originally built, was built to resemble uh, an Egyptian temple. Mm-hmm. It's not there anymore. You can't, but you, you, you can see pictures of what it used to look like. Mm-hmm. And people used to like wander around the top of it and gaze into the reflecting pool at night. And it was all very evocative for him. But that became a huge part of that entire story because I needed an entrance to the underworld. And of course, it was this big Egyptian temple. And so I had, I, all of a sudden, I had like this ancient god wandering around the streets of New York City who was Anubis. And he was like, he had a jazz bar on the Upper West Side all of a sudden. And then the obelisk in New York, in, in, in the park. And, like all these weird little factoids started to happen. And I knew that that the, the setting itself was so like mm-hmm. it, it, I was almost like I I don't even have to write this story it's just writing itself. But I remember I was, I was working on book two in that series, uh, Darklight, and I was kind of stuck on something. And and John, my my uh, my partner, texted me from the basement where he was watching TV. <laughs> I was just I was like I was on the second <laughs> yeah. floor. Yeah, yeah. So we're, you know, we're yelling at each other. He's like texting me and he's like, Hey, did you still need like a, a creepy fairy lair in New York City? And I was like, Yes. Sure why? He's like, he's coming downstairs. And I, I was like, oh, okay. So I go downstairs and he's watching an episode of uh, Life After People. Okay. And, uh, you know, the, it's the, the series where it's like, what, what would happen if everybody disappeared off space? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. What happens to structures and everything else? And this one had to deal with a place called North Brother Island, mm-hmm. which is in the East River. It's just north of, of Rikers Island. Okay. There's this little tiny island there that used to be a sanatorium. Like Typhoid Mary actually spent some time there. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. And so it's, but it's it's abandoned now and it's deserted and you're not allowed to go there. But it is there are these urban explorers who posted a bunch of pictures mm-hmm. of it. There's, and it, it's like there's these Gothic buildings that have been taken over by vines and nature and and there's and it's the creepiest, coolest place. Mm-hmm. And I, was like, I just got chills when I saw it. I was like, that's it. Yeah, that became this huge set piece, and, and, and so there was a, like another another piece of New York was slotting itself into into place. And I would keep coming up with all these little pieces. There was like a place down by the High Line that I made, you know, like a 
uh, a lair for one of my characters. And, mm-hmm. and, and that one, I was like, okay, I knew about the Highline, but I hadn't been there yet, but I researched it. I came up with this idea for a little warehouse that I wanted to kind of put beside it that I needed. I went down to go see the Highline and there was a little warehouse exactly where I needed it. In the meat, in the meat packing district. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was exactly the right distance from it. There was a window where I needed to be. I don't. I was like, did I write that into existence? <laughs> but, and it was this weirdest thing, and it was hilarious because my editor at the time, I kept you know telling her all these things and giving her all these little bits of of history of, of New York City, and she's like, wait, that's there, that's real, and I was like, yeah, yeah, it's a real thing there. We can use it in the book. And she's like, you're freaking me out, and I've lived in New York my whole life, and I didn't know any of this was here, and. Yeah. She started, by the end of it, she started calling me New York's supernatural biographer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, because it is, it's so, especially like from New York as a city, like there are so many pockets and and things that if you know where to look, you can find incredible stories. But I'm curious for you. So I, this is really interesting because I'm a character driven, like my sort of entry point into books and stories is people who have listened to this podcast for a while and like I always say I like small stories with big emotions and so I love when people are sitting and having conversations and I can looking back now I never I always used to be jealous of people who could be like oh well this is the reason why I like the types of books I do and I always be like well, how do you know that I've since come to realize like when I was younger probably a little bit too young like I discovered Kevin Smith the film director he did Clerks and Chasing Amy and Mallrats and all these different uh, movies and I saw Chasing Amy when I was, I don't know, like seventh or eighth grade. And it's like at its core, it's just a bunch of people sitting around having different conversations about random obscure things. And I like it just spoke to me. And then one of my favorite movies of all time is Good Will Hunting. And there's a scene where Matt Damon and Robin Williams are just sitting next to each other in a park. And it's just like a seated two shot. And they're just having this conversation that like even to this day I can do the entire monologue Robin Williams does so speaking of being able to do monologues I won't I won't bore you with that but like looking back I'm like oh when I was like when my brain and emotions and everything were forming to become the adult I would become these were the things that spoke to me the most so now it makes sense for like I will tell someone hey I would love for you to read this book and they'll be like, why? And I'd be like, well, the emotions of these two people having a conversation back and forth. And so like, that's, that's for me, like I can go back and I can pinpoint, like, this is why I'm drawn to these types of stories. Like, do you remember, was there an experience? Was it seeing that original Star Trek movie? Was it, or was it something else that like you can look back and now realize like, oh, that is the thing that triggered my love for places and how they can spark stories. Interesting because, yeah, I think the book that probably, the one that probably actually made me want to be a writer uh, as well as being the book that I've read more times than anything else is a, is actually a book called Fire Lord by an author named Park Godwin. And uh, I read it back in the eighties and it's a retelling of the King Arthur myth from Arthur's point of view as he lies dying in Avalon. And it's a very, realistic retelling like it's all you know he's he sort of became by being centurion in the ragged end of the roman army at the end of when rome pulled all their their yeah. troops back and the, the beginning of dark ages is all very historically based there's like a, a very tiny hint of i guess you'd call it magic but it's it's mostly just very realistic and very sort of true to that historical time period and the way that he describes uh britain mm-hmm. in I'd never been to Britain at, at that point. But the way he describes the countryside that 
Arthur lives in and loves with every fiber of his being, which is, you know, a beautiful, occasionally terrible place. Mm-hmm. Up on, you know, like Hadrian's Wall and and uh, and and the Midlands and, and Wales. The way he describes it is just hooked talons into my brain and and felt like I knew it. Mm. The way he describes the place. But at the same time, he had uh, Godwin's got such a gift for dialogue that his characters in that book and the way they the conversations back and forth and the it almost gets almost bantery at points. Like it's so like the the quickness and the and just that yeah. but it's also it's also kind of weirdly po- poetic and like it just the character interactions in that particular, like it was both of those things. It was the, the, the conversations between the people and the settings. And then on top of all that, you get to, you know, you, you throw in these, these glorious, incredibly well-described battle scenes and things like that. And I was like, I have some uh, stage combat training, so I, I love a good fight scene. It's, it's the way I write my love scenes. I write them like I'm choreographing fight scenes, <laughs> <laughs> which is weird, but fun. I love it. No, I love that. It's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, so it was weird because I just I felt like all of a sudden I knew this place, and I felt like I like I knew Hadrian's Wall, and I felt like I knew the the, the places where he was, where he was putting Canelot and the terrain and the geography and the weather, and I could feel it. And the very first time I ever went over to Britain, it felt like I'd been there, mm-hmm. and I I could you know I could feel the place in my bones, and it's it's still that again that's one of the places that that really hooked its claws into me. And again, which is one of those things where I love setting so much. And at the time I was, you know, the, the first book that Baby Leslie ever wrote was, uh, was an Arthurian story as well. Except it was a, it, it was like, you know, it was sort of the once in future King thing where it was a guy in, in modern day who has, who goes to Britain and all of a sudden, you know, finds himself with these, yeah. these when he was King Arthur, yada, yada. And, but I found places when I was there with that story uh, that all of a sudden, again, not just wrote themselves into the the story that I was telling, but became plot points, mm-hmm. like important ones. Like there was this just this random weird little castle ruin that I went to in the middle of like the middle of nowhere Wales, and uh, in the Vale of Llangollen, and I climbed up to the top of this little castle with with the the guy I was visiting Wales with, and it was like it was this weird, almost haunted experience. Like we both felt mm-hmm. really really strong sense of place and again did you and then I once I, I got back to Canada and I started researching this tiny little ruin I found out that it had really really deep roots in ancient Celtic mythology and the legend of Brandon Blessed who which ties into really early Arthurian mythology and it became this thing that I needed that I didn't know I needed uh-huh. which was you know it's it's the, ah, the, the the goosebumps up and down your arms and you're like yeah oh. Yeah, I get it. All right, all right, all right, I'll write it. I'll write it. <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting you say that. Um, a past guest and a friend of mine, her name's Don Kurtaget. She writes young adult horror, and she's Welsh. She's lived in Wales a long time now, <laughs> and like she, she told me off recording, like because I asked her, I was like, "You're," because her stories are super atmospheric, and she jokingly said, like her most recent book is about basically like she was walking around Wales and like there was this cave and it was like super creepy. And she's like, she's like, she basically said, she's like, yeah, if you live in Wales, it's kind of hard not to feel atmospheric. She's like, everything around me is atmospheric at all times. But yes. so you, you, you touched on just there, like kind of a, an ancient Celtic aspect. So for your, your new book, your, your latest book, Queen Among the Dead is it's like a 
fantasy retelling of ancient Celtic mythology. So how did you go about that? This, this is two separate questions. One, like, how did you go about like the research of this? And like, what, what was the impetus or because it sounds like when you're researching for a book, like you discover something that may no longer be here and then you deeply research it and you can kind of see that place in your brain. It's like, what was the the impetus for, for this particular story? Okay. Well, this is, again, this is one of those things where setting became like place became such mm-hmm. a, huge, uh, a huge part of the story. And it was interesting because this one started out actually with, with the character of Neve, even though that wasn't, I didn't know that was her name at the time. I started out with the idea of this this sort of kind of rogue princess, you know, second daughter in line for a throne, but because she was the second daughter, it really mm-hmm. was aimless. She was like, you know, the, the spare, not the heir. And she was almost and she was almost a little a little Shakespearean in her formative years in my brain. She was almost a little like Prince Hal because she was, you know, she, she wasn't, she wasn't ever going to take the throne. So she spent a lot of time just, you know, like being irresponsible and hanging out in the towns and the taverns and, and not being, uh, you know, sort of groomed for rule. Um, so she was this, this interestingly roguish character who wound up with sort of an interestingly roguish gallery of characters surrounding her, but I didn't have a place for her. Mm-hmm. I didn't know where she uh, where she lived, where she existed in in and I and I like I say I always need that yeah that thing. so I was I was kind of she was a bit untethered in my in my brain uh, to begin with that I and and her backstory was is, is interesting because I I kind of took a bit of it what wound up being like her sort of her her ancestress not her story but it comes very important from um, a again, a very tiny snippet of mythology, of Egyptian mythology, interestingly enough, um, about two different characters there, one of whom was uh, a, an apocryphal queen named Natokris, who took revenge on a bunch of her enemies who killed her brother, the king, and built a banquet hall, invited them all to dinner, sealed them in the room, and then like let the floodwaters of the Nile in and, and yeah. killed them all. And I was like, ooh, cool. <laughs> I, I, I like this girl. Uh, she's... Cause she's don't 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 piss her off. Yeah, seriously. Uh, so she became this, became this interesting voice in in my head that sort of wound up becoming a voice in in Neve's head. And also, this interestingly enough, while I was searching for a place to to land Neve so I could tell her story, again, I got one of these you know texts from from my partner saying, oh, "Hey, here for a second. And I was like, oh. I, lo- I love this through line in your in your story. This is great. I, I swear to God, I wouldn't write books if it wasn't for him going, hey, come here for a second. And I'm like, what? And he's like, what about Newgrange? Because he, he, like, he was just looking up something online and stumbled across a story about, about Newgrange, which is a, a, an ancient monument site in, in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, what about Newgrange? He's like, do you know anything about it? And I was like, yeah. He's like, well, why don't you put your story there? And I'm like, I can't do that. That's not, no, that's, no, 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 that's all right. No, don't be silly. <laughs> he's like, yeah, okay, whatever. You do you. So I, and a couple of weeks later, I was flying out to LA, and I knew I had, I had to get up like at ridiculous o'clock in the morning. So yeah. I was like, I, you know, I never sleep, but I, so I was like, I was like, my bed. I was like, oh, okay, I got some sleep. And so I, I'm like, okay, wait a minute, Newgrange. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I'm not gonna sleep. I can't. And so I like, I, you know, this morning, I was like, I'm 
packing and I'm like, I'm blind. I'm so tired. I can't like, I can't see straight. And John's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, it's your fault. And he's like, what? I'm like, Newgrange. And he's like, oh God, you're so odd. And so, <laughs> so I fly out to LA and I, like, I call my agent and I'm like, I got it. And she's like, you got it. I'm like, I got the story. Cause we were, we were pitching the idea of the story uh, at the time to, uh, to the marvelous woman who would wind up becoming my editor. But again, I was like, didn't have the, the setting. And I was like, I got it, I got it, I got it. I, got it. I, I know what to do with it. I know where to put it. And, she, and so I, I'm like, I'm, I'm in my hotel room in LA and I'm, pass, I'm pacing back and forth like a crazy person on the phone. And, and she's like, okay, well, that works. And, and do you want me to call Tiffany? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell her I'll get a hold of her when I, when I get back to, to Toronto. Because I had to kind of come up with this, this thing in my mind. Yeah. And the, the amazing thing was, is that I'd had this, like this little idea of the, the Egyptian princess. And while I'm trying to find Neve's place, I discovered that there was another Egyptian princess who apparently uh, the reason why Scotland is named Scotland is because she went on this epic journey, left Egypt, wound up in Ireland. Her name was Scota. She spent some time in Ireland becoming you know, this incredible thing and then wound up going to Scotland and ruling there. Yeah. And of course, it's, 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 there's almost nothing to this this legend it's very very sparse on the ground but you know it's like it's this like oh cool. why, why is scotland in scotland and it's this like weird little apocryphal thing and i'm like egyptian what are you talking about yeah and then i started to research newgrange again and and get even deeper into that and it was built before the actual building of the pyramids mm-hmm. it and Stonehenge, and it is this amazing structure that is actually really similar in construction to the uh, the temples that the Egyptians built before the pyramids, the Mastaba or Mastaba, I'm not even sure how you pronounce that because I've only read the word, but it's these sort of low temples with a single doorway kind of thing. It, if you saw a picture of Newgrange, you would know exactly. But um, and these, these Egyptian structures were the same. They start like the the stepped pyramid. Mm-hmm started off as one Mastaba and then another one on top of it and another one. And then eventually, you know, they start filling the sides and they became what the pyramids, the classical pyramid shape. But to have that sort of through line from this, these weird character bits that started out in my head that gave her, that gave me this incredibly rich backstory for her people coming to Ireland initially from somewhere far away, because I knew I wanted that to happen. Mm-hmm. It was all because of, of the setting. Hey, what about Newgrange? <laughs> like, so yeah. And and then again, then the setting just, you know, and, 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 and the Hill of Tara and all of this incredibly rich stuff in Ireland, which is hilariously, uh, nobody really knows a whole bunch about why this stuff was built. Right. Oh, that Newgrange is aligned with the, you know, the, the winter solstice and, and the, the shaft of light that, that uh, with the rising sun. They know the, sort of the physical mechanics of it. And there's the, these incredibly intricate carvings, but they don't know really why. why. Yeah. yeah. Like, was it a tomb? Was it a temple? Was it both? Was it neither? What was this thing? And what did it mean? And, and, and there's so many lovely kind of misty spaces around the actual place. Mm-hmm. I got to fill in the story myself, and and Tara is the, the ruins of Tara. Are just they're, they're almost, you know, they're 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 like circles in the ground, and you know, low bumps in the in the terrain kind of thing. There's not a lot left of it. And what I wound up doing is I wound up building a civilization there that was almost like I could almost build something that was sort of almost Atlantean. Yeah, like this lost civilization that was glorious and the structures are majestic and art and artistic. And because the, I mean, you look at 
you know, some of the, the archaeological finds from from those time periods, the, like the jewelry from you know the Mesopotamians and Macedonians mm-hmm. and and like pre prehistoric stuff that is so intricate, and the artisanship in it and the craftsmanship is so sophisticated, and some of the weaponry that's been found back then, and, and I just wanted to build a civilization that was incredibly advanced in a lot of ways, and a lot of that has to do with like a certain amount of magic that's woven into the actual building of, of Tara at Newgrange and weave that into it. And then the, the magic starts to fall apart. And so you can see this, this, this civilization just disappearing to nothing. And so what we have now is just, is conjecture. And mm-hmm. I can pull that in with, with all these lovely myths and monsters and magic. Yeah. I was just going to say, like, I have to imagine it feels like it would be more, I don't know if fun is the right word, but like, more exciting to do a quote unquote like retelling like this where it's so sparse because like, and I can definitely see where having the knowledge and the historical knowledge specifically of a place would help with this because, you know, people like to think about retelling, back to your point about Shakespeare, like if you do a retelling of Romeo and Juliet, like everyone on earth knows what the through what the story plot points have to be and like, oh, by the way, you missed this thing. And like, wait a minute, why are they both happily ever after the end? You made that you did this wrong. Like, whereas this story, like, like you said, it's so sparse, but there's these like kernels of knowledge. And then if you're willing to do the research of the place, like I absolutely see. And again, like I have to imagine it's way more, you have so much more space to play in when it comes to this type of retelling, it seems like. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like Newgrange is the tent pole. And then I get to like, you know, hang the canvas and decorate the inside of the tent around it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's, it, it does. It, like sometimes if it's too sparse, you get, you know, you don't have enough to hang story on. Yeah. There's enough there that, and I kept finding all these little places around that were evocative of the story. And it gave me little bits. Like I needed a, I needed sort of like a, a rough and tumble town. Not too far from there, there's this place where there's two rivers that meet and it's called Blackwater. And I'm, I'm like, okay, yeah. well, that's always been its name. And it's always been Blackwater. And why is the water black? And, uh, <laughs> and what, what kind of, you know, sort of rough around the edges town can I set there? And so like, I, I got to do that based on just like a, a name I found on the map beside the place, exactly where I needed it to be. Yeah. And then there was like, I needed, I, I needed a place uh, north of there that, that I needed something kind of dramatic. And I found this, this little tiny uh, lake on like this, the, the headlands of, of Ireland, but there's like this huge cliff that mm-hmm. drops back to the sea. And, and on the, on the headlands, there's this like little tiny lake that used to have a little tiny, tiny prehistoric fortress in the middle of it <laughs> on a little tiny Island. And then the ruins are still there. And I'm like, I need that. Okay. And now I need this over here. <laughs> and it was just like, I was just connecting all these wonderful little dots all over the map. And it just, I, it's so weird and so exciting when that happens. And you're like, yeah. Oh, actually is that I don't have to make that up. It's big. And I just have to explain why. And that's that's the kind of thing. Like like when I was writing the New York story, that was mm-hmm. exactly the same thing. I was I, I, one of my uh, other series, my Never books. I said in ancient Britain during the reign of Boudicca. Well, the, I guess reign, yeah, reign. I guess Queen Boudicca yeah. and the Roman army. And I needed, I like, I literally needed something incredibly specific because I needed three hills in a line. It's a larger hill and two smaller hills on, on either side because I wanted to actually match topography to the shape of the Battersea Shield, which was a relic that was found in the temple, which is like, which yeah. had this. Yeah, you've seen it. It's got the I big see that, yeah. Yeah, okay. I needed that exact formation in, in Grave Barrows, somewhere in Britain. And I was like, I am going to have to absolutely make this up. <laughs> 
And I didn't. And there is there are these three hills exactly where I needed them, exactly the right shape, exactly the right height. And when I found those, I was like, That's amazing. Okay. <laughs> and this keeps happening to me and I and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go with it. Yeah, yeah, you might as well enjoy the like the serendipity or kismet, whatever whatever word you wanna use. Are you able it's <laughs> maybe a silly question. It seems like even writing aside, because obviously you love writing and I can tell like the way that you're describing this, that you love the hunt for these pieces of information. Do you do this when you're going just on like a vacation or traveling to a new place? Do you find yourself being like, I want to find some like historical nuggets or can you take a trip somewhere that you've never been <laughs> without knowing the historical background of it? Um, I can. <laughs> I try. I mm-hmm. go and see. It's like, oh, why did I just go somewhere relax? And then I'm like, oh, oh, well, that's interesting. Let's go there. And then yeah. it's no. It's like, yeah, I can't remember the last time I, I went somewhere that I was unfamiliar with that I didn't find something that that's wound amazing. up in a notebook that it's like, okay, do yeah, let's let's see what we can do with this. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Um, exhausting. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. But I mean, I I don't know. I I feel like. I find myself, I mean, it does depend on the trip. Like if I'm going camping, I will just like, I want to know the like area I'm going to, but like I'm totally fine just sort of like exploring nature or if I'm going to a beach, you know, I'm just probably, maybe I'm going to res- like relax. But like if I'm going to like a city I've never been to, I do want to know the history and I want to know, like, I, I want to have some semblance of an idea of what's the interesting thing I can go look at or uncover that I've never seen before. And the same thing I feel like you, you're, you're talking about New York City. Like I've, because I used to be in the literary world, I would be in Manhattan at least once a year for work. And so I, I feel like anytime I go there now, I'm like, okay, what's a new thing I can discover about this place? So I do know what you mean. Cause you don't just want to, I don't know. I feel like every time I have a new experience, like I want to make it, I guess, worthwhile would be the right word. So I understand what you're saying. You know, don't get me wrong. I, I love unplugging and, sitting on a beach and drinking margaritas and yeah. doing that mm-hmm. for a couple of days. And then I'm like, okay, someone now. Let's have uh, a local history. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. I feel like that's if I'm doing like a beach vacation, it's like, okay, one day off, one day on, one day off. Let's do it. Let's yeah. go explore one day. Let's relax. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. Okay, one, I have one last question for you. I always end with a recommendation from the author. It can be, uh, it could be a book recommendation. Lots of people have given book recommendations, but it could be, a place that you think more people should explore or a, you know, whatever, anything you want to recommend that you think more people should know about. Niagara Falls. Ooh, okay. Yeah. This is a recent one. Uh, just cause I, I, I moved fairly recently into a not far away from their place. Mm-hmm. And it's hilarious because it has this reputation of being uh, you know, kitschy, touristy, techy. Yeah tired spot and it's not that yeah. it's something else it is hilarious because i, I keep saying hilarious i don't know if that's my word of the day no, <laughs> i don't know what's going on with me it's it, it is so interesting to me that again having not grown up anywhere near the falls and, and having grown up with this sort of this uh i guess cultural idea of it as just being this like oh, oh it used to be this like this, this tacky honeymoon spot with like you know, uh, champagne glass shaped jacuzzis uh-huh. and, and drive through, you know, wedding parlors and that kind of stuff. 
sort of like a, a like a attack your Vegas, if that's even possible. And then I, I got here, and and you know, and it's gone through its times. And I and I'm, I'm of course on the Canadian side, uh, which is very different from the American side. And I recently went across to just have a wander on the American side of mm-hmm. the falls for an afternoon, and uh, and it's a very different perspective there too. Like you, you have to drive through some sort of really industrial stuff to get to the falls themselves, mm-hmm. and then when you get there, you're not as close to Horseshoe Falls, which is the like the Canadian Falls are better than the American Falls because I, I loved the, uh, the, uh, the American Falls and, and, and there's just, you know, Goat Island and, and you get really, really close to the falls on the American side. And it is, it's a, like you can feel them in your chest yeah. when you're standing near them. You get this sort of like this hollow roaring sensation. And over on the Canadian side, there's like, you know, Clifton Hill, which is basically an outdoor amusement park. It's like a, a, a street that's lined with, just the kitschiest. Oh yeah. There's a dinosaur park mini golf and Ferris wheels and and just incredibly kitschy stuff. But at the same time, you 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 turn the corner and Horseshoe Falls is right in front of you, and it is gobsmackingly awesome. Like just the sight of it. And they they recently opened the uh, the power station museum here. It's an exhibit where you go go through and see what the you know one of the first power stations was like there, it's been refurbished with all the incredible, the stonework and the machinery that was in there. But then you also go down in this, this glass elevator to what would have been the, uh, the spillway mm-hmm. for the water to, when it came through the, the station, then it would, it would all empty out back into the river. Yeah. And you can actually walk through the spillway now to where it comes out at the river and Niagara Falls is right there. Like yeah. Horseshoe Falls is, you're, you're basically standing at the base of the falls and it is mind blowing. For one thing, the tunnel itself, the actual construction of it, is awe inspiring. What what they actually did to build this thing with rudimentary dynamite and pickaxes. Yeah, and it's a huge tunnel. It's like it's it, it, it's it's like a monument. It's it's like it's like the pyramids of Egypt. The the, the construction mm-hmm. of it is mind boggling. People, if you've never been to Niagara Falls, like there is no way to describe, like to properly explain without seeing it in person. Like it is one of those things where you're just like it just takes your breath away and like it's yeah i i wholeheartedly i i love that recommendation because yeah you're absolutely right like it is something even just like like if you look at photos is like it's like that doesn't it's it's not you have to see it exactly yeah it's a place it's a setting it's a place (laughs) (laughs) well leslie this was so fascinating i said i love getting to understand the brains of the people who come in and and have these conversations with me this was so so interesting thank you so much for joining me today thank you so much for having me this was a riot i really enjoyed it passions and prologues is proud to be an evergreen podcast and was created by adam sokol it was produced by Adam Sokol and Sean Rule Hoffman. And if you are interested in this podcast and any other Evergreen podcast, you can go to evergreenpodcast.com to discover all the different stories we have to tell. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, 
And for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.